Saturday afternoon, 2.30, Old Big East Rivals in a rematch of last year's Big East Championship game. It is number 12, Seton Hall, and number 10, Villanova, going down in South Philly at the Wells Fargo Center. And this is how we're going to start things off right here on the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Timmy Ice. And we got this blockbuster game on Saturday. I'm a Seton Hall guy, and joining me now, he knows a thing or two about the other side of this equation. Villanova alum and a Philly guy. Had him on back in October, and I'm pleased to welcome him back. Also a contributor with the Big East Digital Network. My guy, D-Ray, Daryl Reynolds. My guy, good to have you back. What's going on, man? What's going on with you? Well, I mean, it's always fun when the Pirates and the Wildcats square off, and that's what's going to be in store on Saturday. National TV audience on Fox. Got Timmy Brando on the call. You can't really ask for much more. And you're going to be in Philly uh, for the game, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be, uh, like you said, contributing with the Big East. So I actually, I'll have the pregame hit on the Big East digital, uh, digital Network, excuse me, before the game. And I'll be sitting right media row, man, watching. Yeah, I'm joining, uh, joining alongside uh, Matt Schumacher and uh, my guy, John Fanta. So it, 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 I'll, I'll definitely be tuned into that. Should be a really fun exciting atmosphere at Wells Fargo. But before we get to the game itself, let's kind of talk about what happened um, Wednesday night with both of these teams. Uh, Seton Hall won at and kind of had to um, stifle a, a late comeback from Georgetown in order to pull away and win. Meanwhile, for Villanova, playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and – Nickel Magic got the best of them as Kamar Baldwin uh, knocked down the game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer to give Butler the win. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from your perspective, um, what was your analysis of uh, Villanova's uh, shocking defeat at Hinkle? And were there any shades with Kamar Baldwin? Because you faced him as a senior when he was a freshman, and yeah. he hit a lot of big shots for you. At Hinkle, so did you have a little uh, PTSD watching some of that towards the end? Uh, personally, I've I've never been a fan of um, Nova traveling there. Obviously, as a Big East basketball fan, of course, as a college basketball fan, you know it's going to be a great game. But uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse and everybody around the Big East there said this it's one of the hardest places to play and you know you hear that hinkle magic thing a lot it really holds true because there is something about that building it's just they seem to be a different team and that's no knock to their role game they they play a good role game um they they really stick to what they do but it's a different energy they're a different team it's just one of those things that like if you are really not overly prepared you can go in there and and you know it, it could be a lot as you saw yesterday it was a hard fought game uh, that three by Sadiq, you kind of – I was thinking, all right, this is going to go into overtime. This is going to be another, like, overtime slugout with them as, as it usually turns into. But, you know, if I have to make that shot, like I said, as a Nova fan, hell no. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not – you know, I, I was not huge on that. I kind of – I was actually in uh, – I, I coached high school basketball at my former high school, Law Marion. So we were in practice and – one of the coaches just like started giving me a, a hard time, like ah, down goes Nova, you know. And I had to hear about that right then. But um, as a basketball fan, you know, it was a great game, and I'm proud of how far Kamar has come. He's like, like you said, I was a senior when he was a freshman, and you could see, kind of like Miles Powell was, you could see like 
there's something here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's going to be the best ever or this, that, and the third, but you know how it is. When you watch a kid as a freshman, you can look at him and say, all right, they keep their head on their shoulders right, and they keep playing and learning this game, they're going to be something. And he's had that clutch gene literally since he came in as a freshman. I think it was his second or third game in his college career. He hit the game when he shot to beat uh, a really good Northwestern team that year. Um, so, and I credit uh, Villanova also. I mean, they did as well the job to, you know, to defend that shot. But credit Kamar Ball and just a well-executed step back. And, I mean, the results showed as, it, as the ball went in. Uh, so Villanova now with Seton Hall winning on Wednesday. Now it's Seton Hall with a two-game cushion on the yeah. going into Saturday. Um, so with Seton Hall having that two-game advantage, um, who would you think ha- um, has more pressure going up against them in this scenario, knowing Nova's now lost back-to-back games? Uh, I mean, I, I think both teams are equally uh, stressed. Obviously, Seton Hall, you have a two-game cushion. You're at the top of the Big East. You have a chance to, you know, with the Big East kind of winding down and us moving closer and closer to March, and obviously like, with the remainder of their schedule, they got a couple of road games they got to go on the road and play. But, you know, at Seton Hall, it's like we want to clinch this, and you know that there's only several teams that are a true threat to beat you. Obviously, Villanova at the Wells Fargo Center is one of them. So that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on that. There's a lot of pressure on being number one because you're in a position where everybody's getting, you're getting everybody's best shot. And that's what Seton Hall's getting right now. Um, like I said, as a basketball fan, it's beautiful to see the Big E so competitive. As a Villanovan, I would love to see them at the top. Uh, from Villanova, there's also a lot of pressure because you don't want to lose two in a row, especially to to Butler and Seton Hall, not because those aren't great, noble uh, opponents, but because it's just – it's something about those games that they really come down to. I interviewed Coach Wright after the Butler game at uh, at the Pavilion, and quite frankly, I expected more of a game there. Um, it, it ended up being a game where Villanova pulled away kind of early in the second half, and when I interviewed him afterwards, he immediately goes into, you know, like this game comes down to mental toughness. So Seton Hall and Butler are two of those teams that kind of like it really comes down to, you know, just a, it's a grind game. Those are those are Villanova, uh, Seton Hall, Butler, and I guess I would have to say Providence. Xavier, depending on the personnel, because uh, it changes from year to year. But those are probably like five of the ten teams in the Big East that really pride themselves on being like tough and gritty. So losing to them is kind of a – it's more of a mental thing. But like I said, I think the pressure is kind of split both ways. Villanova, you don't want to lose two in a row. Seton Hall, you don't want to lose your spot. Yeah, and for Villanova, I mean, they're trying to avoid a three-game losing skid, which is something that is so rare and uh, something to bear in mind also. A couple things. Number one, D-Ray, you never went through a two-game skid, no, more, never lost consecutive games while you were in college, which is absolutely bewildering. And <laughs> considering this, this Villanova team is – on the cusp if they were to drop this game Saturday to drop their third in a row. And meanwhile, for Seton Hall, though, this is even more crazy. I mean, we always talk about how Seton Hall gives Villanova some fits, and they've done that year after year. But in Philly, not so much. In the last five meetings where Villanova's played at home against the Pirates, Villanova's outscored them by a combined 109 points. And not to mention, Mm -hmm. Seton Hall – hasn't won in Philly against Nova 
since February of 1994. I wasn't even alive. Damn. I was only one. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. I wasn't even one yet. Damn, I was only a couple months old. Jeez. <laughs> but, yeah, that's um, so those are some of the crazy stats regarding uh, um, as we kind of dive deep into the numbers. But if you're Villanova, knowing that you've lost back-to-back games, you're back at home now considering the week before you – came out a little flat against Creighton in that same building. Um, as a player, um, are you kind of trying to run on anger to try to drive, uh, to drive you to play better basketball than you had been during the two games you lost beforehand, or is it something else? No, I mean, I, I think if you, if you start to feed off of something else or trying to find some magic formula or something else to, to make up for it, which is not what Villanova does, which is not what – any consistent program uh, coach or player does, you know, you try to like find this one thing that's going to get it. I think that's kind of foolish and I'm, I'm happy to Villanova isn't that type of program because that never works. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, like obviously that this is a poor time to quote him, but like Kobe had a quote where he was just like, no gimmicks, you know what I mean? Just show up day in and day out of work. Like, you know, there's no gimmicks. So it's like, I don't think that there's any need to, oh, we really got to get riled up for this one because what happens when the games where you can't get riled up and you have no excuse and you beat that team a million times? It's like, no, approach every game the same way. Approach every game to win that day, to play your best and to be a better team than you were the day before. Not forget the game before, like the practice before, the walkthrough before. You know, practice and and um, prepare to be a, a better team every time you step on the court. So I'm pretty sure that's their message going into it. With that said, yes, there's obviously a human aspect of, there's a sense of urgency here. I'm sorry. You, you corrected me. I com- I'm not saying I completely forgot about that Creighton game. Maybe I kind of pushed it out because I wanted to. But um, <laughs> I yeah, blame like you. Said, yeah, like you said, three in a row. So there is a sense of urgency on Villanova's side of just like, listen, you know what I mean? We really got to – we gotta, we gotta make sure that we, uh, we do everything in our power. I'm pretty sure that was a message going into Creighton. That was a message going into Butler. But yeah, I do have to admit that it that that heat turns up a little bit more when it's like, oh, this is actually, this actually could be the third one. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I, if you're Seton Hall, if you're on the other side, you're thinking, okay. None of our guys that are playing right now were even alive the last time we beat this team on the road um if you're kevin willard uh what's the message to the guys to just forget about history focus on the now and try to forget about just the horrid results that have come with this matchup over the last five six years now uh coach bull is a great coach another guy who seems to really um preach you know the the idea and the um the concept of kind of sticking to uh you know like your guns sticking to what you do day in and day out so uh i'm trying to think if i was him you know what i mean it's it's not anything to i'm not trying to slight him or anything like this but i could imagine he's telling his team those stats and it's been x amount of years been x amount of time you know we have to make adjustments um, and that gives them that much more incentive. And the, 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 the beauty of basketball fans is they're going to see a great game regardless because you have two teams who have a lot at stake. You know what I mean? Like you said, Seton Hall hasn't won there in so many years. There's so much to be done. And, and with their team this year, 
the 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 run that they've been on, all the magic they've had. Uh, quite frankly, still being undefeated in the Big East, like all right, y'all guys have a shot to do something very very special. You know what I mean? And then you look at Villanova, like we said, all right, you have to you not maintain that because I'm pretty aware of. You know what I mean? It's just put the blinders on and you have to lock in. But at the same time, like you said, let's be realistic. This could be three in a row. Yeah, and again, with Seton Hall, I mean, they were able to um, – I'm trying to think of the best way to – work. like, put a really bad game against Xavier last weekend in the rearview mirror and then respond strongly with a win at Georgetown, a game they realistically had to win. I mean, I was this one they want they didn't want to, like, let go, similar to the way they did against uh, Xavier, especially with the way that they played in that game, getting out-rebounded 51-22 to and just getting destroyed at home. Uh, but let's get down and just let's get down to the personnel. Obviously, we know who are the stars on both sides. Obviously, it was Pete Hall. You got Miles Powell with Villanova. Sadiq Bay has been having a quietly – Incredible season. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, outside of the stars, um, what are some of the matchups, personnel-wise, that you're looking forward to between these two two teams? Uh, obviously, I, I like Miles Powell as a basketball fan. Um, you know what I mean? He's a he's a great player. He's putting together a historic college basketball not season, but a cap to his career. You know what I mean? So it's it's amazing to see what he's going to do and how he's grown throughout these past couple of years. It's just he he's he's a different kid he has that that jersey chip on his shoulder which you love to see it's the same thing that makes Kyrie and J.R. Smith and players like that are who they are jersey guards are just they got a scrappiness to them you know they got a way about them especially northern jersey we all know you know what I mean like he's from Trenton that's a little bit of the middle but for us it's either south or northern I'm sorry so I'm considering him a northern jersey guy you know what I mean he kind of fits in right at home in Newark so yeah D-Ray, before we continue, I got to say, are you saying that Central Jersey does not exist? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying we it's, – it's like – it's to me, the only person I know from Central Jersey is Tim Delaney. You know what I mean? Like, Tim Delaney's the first person I think of, but most people, when I think of, you know, the players from Jersey, it's, they all seem to be from one or the other. I guess because Central Jersey is just such a stretch of land and it's just – let me not go off too much. He's from Central Jersey. All right, I, I'll put it down. I'll give you that. Uh, 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 no, no, you're all, you're all good, man, because there were some people that I know who are from that area that might want to pick up with you if they heard what you said. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't want – they too close to home. I'm still in Philly. I don't want no problems with them. I love Jersey. <laughs> I love the whole tri-state. But, um, but no, like, I, I think that Miles is going to be huge. I'm very interested to see how Romero Gill uh, performs, believe it or not. I, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Now, obviously, this is a big guy talking about a big guy. But uh, he has – I feel like and, – and don't, don't you know, don't slight me here. I feel like Romero Gill has the, the, the potential to go to the next level and have a very long career. He's a big guy who has a very good knack for blocking shots. He's, he was uh, blocking around three shots a game. You know, he rebounds. Um, they, they just he, he just has a feel for the game. That Obviously, he's not an offensive juggernaut, but he is a huge part of the, the weight of so many things being lifted off their shoulders when you have a last line of defense like him. I'm very interested to see how, um, you know, Villanova handles that from, you know, the smallest guy to the tallest guy on the court. On the Villanova side, I think this is a huge game for Sadiq. 
because of the wing matchup, you know, he's going to have some mismatches. I, I could imagine, um, you know, Seton Hall is probably going to switch on. I can imagine Miles Kale is going to be on him at some point. I could imagine uh, Roden is definitely going to be on him. You know, Reynolds is their defensive guy. He's going to get some shifts on him. Quincy McKnight, he's not exactly Sadiq's height, but he's a scrappy guy. He's going to be on him. But I'm very interested to see how Sadiq handles the shorter but uh, quicker, you know, guards kind of kind of guarding him. And obviously some of their wings, you know, being a little bit younger than him or being right on pace with him, I, I think that's going to be interesting. But Colin Gillespie is probably the one who I'm most interested in because a lot of that matchup will be Quincy McKnight, Miles Powell, depending on how they end up in transition, you know, who switches on to him. So I'm very interested to see how he performs. And uh, I, like I said, I think it's going to be a great game through and through, but those those three guys, those four guys on both teams, sorry, um, uh, to me, are like the most interesting pieces. And the funny thing was, Quincy McKnight, I mean, in that Xavier game, towards the end, he kind of went down with, it looked like a nasty knee injury, but thankfully, no structural damage. As a matter of fact, he played Wednesday night at Georgetown, hit the dagger three-pointer uh, that gave Seton Hall that boost at the end to pull away and knock off the Hoyas and I mean Quincy's got a, a compelling case to win Biggie's defensive player of the year especially if he can find a way to lock down Sadiq Bay, a guy who's shooting I believe 45% from deep so if you're seeing Hall I mean how do you find a way to counter that you know potential three-point barrage that could come with so many threats on the perimeter I don't have an answer for you. I hate to say that. I'm usually, I am usually very quick with the rebuttals and firebacks. I do not have an answer for you. I think um, for Seton Hall, it's just going to be switching bodies onto him, kind of wearing him out. You got to make, uh, to me, the, the, the best, some of the best defense is a good offense. You got to make a guy who is an offensive threat work on the defensive end so he isn't as fresh. That is why a lot of teams hide their best offensive players. Like if you watch, um, if you watch the Warriors, you know, when Steph Curry was playing, that is why a lot of times, like, Steph wouldn't have a huge matchup. You don't want him being worn out. You know, it's a it's a different type of player to be a two-way player uh, through and through and, like, you know, be guarded by the best guy from the other team and still perform on uh, the offensive end. So I could imagine Seton Hall's thing is going to be switch up the lineups, you know, switch it up on him a lot. They have a lot of guards and wings who are good at switching, like I named a few. Um, and, and don't let him get comfortable with any look. You know, you have someone like Roden or Reynolds. They're a little bit closer to his height, stronger, you know, a little bit faster. They could probably eh, not actually know the speed is probably equal, but those guys will, you know, they'll, they'll give him a, a matchup where he's probably more likely to shoot. Then you throw Quincy McKnight on him. Okay. You want to back that guy down, but now the help is coming. Like it's one of those games where if you constantly switch on to a player who is offensively equipped as uh, Sadiq or Miles Powell, that's usually what slows them up because you can't get comfortable with a look. Guys like that, you know, both of them, like obviously Miles, is, he always had a shot. I think what he's really, what really has separated his game nowadays, his ability to drive the ball and his finishing ability has improved drastically. You know what I mean? Like he used to get in there and just kind of like my freshman year, I mean, sorry, his freshman year, my senior year, you would see him shoot a lot, you know, but he wasn't really known as a slasher. But now you have a guy that can go left, go right and finish at the rim through contact and shoot the way he does with the range. That's what makes him so dangerous. So with guys like him and Sadiq who pretty much have 
uh, a complete offensive game or a near complete offensive game at the college level, I feel like the best way to deal with them is to just constantly give them different looks. Because if they get used to, oh, whoever's guarding me is always sending me left or always sending me right or playing me straight up, it's over. You know what I mean? I, I I agree, and I agree with that's a great point you made about Miles Powell and his ability to drive and finish at the bucket. Honestly, I I think that's now where he is at his best. I mean, obviously he's an incredible shooter, but just his ability to put it on the deck, he just knows how to when he attacks, just to use that backboard just so well, and that's something he's improved on so much year after year after year, and. Uh, I know you mentioned Gillespie is somewhat of an X-factor for you for Villanova. My X-factor for Seton Hall, Mamu. And he's only his fourth game back. I mean, his minutes have been going up game in and game out. Now the question is, is he going to get back into the minutes that he was playing before he got hurt? And I think this is the game where we see that. Now it's a question of how is he going to play in those minutes and is he going to get tired, get worn out? Is he going to get outplayed? Who knows? But if he can put up a good game, then Seton Hall is going to be right there in it and have a good shot to win. But for the game pick, um, as much as things look positive for Seton Hall and with a lot of things in their favor with this matchup compared to past years, I'm still inclined to take Villanova at the Wells Fargo Center. I think they're going to prove that last Saturday and even Wednesday night was kind of a fluke. So I'm still going to take Villanova, but it's going to be a lot closer than it has been in past years. So, D-Ray, what about you? I mean, you know who I'm picking. But to speak on Mamu, um, I, I com- I'm not going to say I completely forgot about him because you can't. He is a huge part. And didn't he play about – he played about – he played north of 25 minutes yesterday, didn't he? He so, played a good deal of minutes. He played a good deal of minutes yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I, he I, did because I, I know he had, he had five against DePaul – and then 16 against Xavier, and then last night, um, let, let's see. I know I know he scored it. So I got – oh, he started and scored and uh, played 32 minutes. Yes, yes, yes. So he uh, – I, I, I knew it was north of 25. I was – I count by the media timeouts. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> no, he was – he was – no, he's a huge part. And th- to be honest, seeing him last year and this year, one of the things that really hurts them, and this is going to be interesting to see with Villanova's size versus them, as good as a player he is, as complete as he is, as an X-factor as he can be for them, he has a knack for very timely offensive rebounds. He has a nose for the ball, and that – I'm not saying it worries me, but that's something they definitely got to watch out for. But – to, to, to reiterate my point, you know who I'm going for. Cats at Wells Fargo. Um, you know, he said it ain't happened since 94. Obviously, at some point that has to end, but I don't see it happening tomorrow night. Or, I'm mean, sorry, Saturday afternoon, my fault. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, even as a Seton Hall guy, I mean, I know the history and everything. And, I, I, I mean, just amongst my friends, just knowing how these games have gone in Philly the last five years, it's – it's not going to end well in, based on based on all that. But I think this time, I think this is the one where Seton Hall actually is in it all game long. And on top of that, they can actually push it into crunch time where it's, it's not decided until the very last minute of play. Um, so uh, so before I let you go, D-Rat, let me go out and uh, catch up. I know it's been about like four months since I had you last on. Uh, so... Um, 
I might as well give you the floor uh, for for a little bit and, you know, catch us up on, I know you were down in Miami for Super Bowl week last week, and you got a lot of projects going on with the State 2 Network, so fill us in on all that. Oh, man, thank you, man, thank you. Uh, like you said, I went down to Super Bowl with my first one. Is it, It's like the, the Final Four on steroids. It's crazy how many people and how many things converge on that area. Um but it was amazing. I got a couple of great interviews in. If you know who Anthony uh, Spice Adams is, the dude, the uh, ha ha, like I got him on the podcast. Uh, stay tuned with D Ray. Obviously, check that out on Apple and Spotify and, and Google or StayTunedNetwork.com. It's up on all of them. Uh, I got Tony Baselli. It was leading up to his Hall of Fame, his possible Hall of Fame induction. He missed out for the fourth year in a row. But just hearing his excitement, he actually called the game before he called um, the Chiefs winning. Um, he said, you know, because of he always goes with the better quarterback. He was just like, when the game is this close, when you have a defense or an offensive game, I'm going with the better quarterback. So he picked that game beforehand. But to hear his insight of it, and like I said, this is a guy who's on the cusp of being a Hall of Famer was huge. And the last interview I got was um, uh, Carlos Dunlap from the Cincinnati Bengals. He had opened a restaurant down in Miami. I actually got a chance to go to and had a conversation with him. So it was dope. I got a couple of great interviews and it was it was nice to. Uh, attend those parties i'm not gonna lie you know it was definitely a, a lively scene down there i, I guess the best way i can kind of keep it pg miami is fun uh but but can definitely wear on you after a while so i'm happy to be home but that was great and as far as everything else goes you know i got uh, like i said on www.staytunenetwork.com that's growing i got a new show coming up with a young lady from st joe's with an amazing story her name is avery mars uh called postgrads at the plat so, you know, stay tuned with that. Obviously, my stuff on YouTube. Stay tuned with D-Ray. You know, stay tuned with D.R.E.Y. D-Ray. And just check all that stuff out, man. It's, it's growing. It's been fun. You know it. Like, I know it. Tom, like, this is it's a, it's a hell of a fun job, man, just to, to, to get on and be able to talk with sports and connect with people who have different insights on sports and, and life and, and, you know, these games, not just on the court, but off the court or field or whatever it may be, it's it's amazing, man. So thank you for having me on again, bro. Seriously, this is one of my favorite shows. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. But before you go, I know I had uh, I kind of talked to you beforehand um, about you being a lower Marion guy. And uh, you went earlier this week uh, back to a game, and uh, your, your old coach uh, hit a pretty big milestone in terms of uh, career wins. Uh, so what was it like being back there and then – uh, kind of speak to uh, what that place means to you, given, you know, Kobe Bryant and everything that he meant uh, to that school and overall, and even to you uh, as a person and basketball fan. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, I, I, I hate to, to I've kind of kept it quiet. I don't know why. I think with everything else going on, I kind of forgot. I coach a little Mary, so I've been there this entire year. Uh, right, when I left right. Him over in October, I went right over there. So it's been fun to coach guys at a different level and see them develop. Uh, quite frankly, I, I admit this to the team, and I'll admit this to anybody else. This is a team that at the beginning of the year was, you know, you didn't know where it was going to shake out. And then they went and went 13-1. and one. You know what I mean? So they were, it's an amazing high school team. I think these young guys in these coming years got something to, uh, a chance to do something special and really carve out their spot in the history of that school. Uh, but as far as Kobe Bryant goes, you know, it was it was it was it was tough, man. You know what I mean? It was it was obviously unexpected for everybody. It was the way that it went. It was the fact that Gianna was also involved. It really made 
um, that difficult. The only beauty I can find in it, and I've said this before, is you know Kobe's Kobe's death was a tragedy. Kobe and those people on that on that childhood, it was nothing short of a tragedy. But his life was mythology, and it's time that we acknowledge that. You know, I think so many times before you hear about you know the Aristotles and the Socrates and this, that, and the third, all these thought leaders from past times, and people think that's all it can be. I genuinely feel like Kobe is going to be the next that. Like when we're, I'm not saying this is a low man guy. I'm not saying this is a Philly guy. I'm saying this is like someone that just admired, forget basketball, the way he thought and approached life. Like you deal, we are looking at, you know, a, uh, a, a, a individual in history that, you know, when you go through, when we're a thousand years out from now and you have to look back on what made this person or what touched that or who was the most influential and so many different things like, you know, sports figures are modern day gladiators. And and, and Kobe really is, like I say, it's, myth- it's mythological. It almost doesn't seem real. And obviously being a little Marion guy, hearing these stories about him and hearing all these connections and things like that. It was, it was true. You know, it was true. It was, he was, he was who he was from jump. So it was a tragedy, but, you know, I don't want to just focus on the tragedy either. I, I want to celebrate a, a beautiful life from a beautiful human being that, you know, he always talked about squeezing everything he could out of life. And it's a shame that he went so early. But if anything, that showed us, like, look what he did in 41 years. You know what I mean? So don't waste any time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, uh, I mean, he had such a great NBA career. And then even after that, I mean, he won an Oscar, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it shows that, like, I mean, he wanted to, like, the, he was only beginning the second chapter um, of his life, and unfortunately, um, you know, he was taken from us uh, far too soon. But D-Ray, appreciate the game analysis, the plugs, and also, you know, touching on um, the late, great Black Mamba, uh, Kobe Bryant. Oh, and by the way, D-Ray, if I – I would. I gotta get on your show. I definitely want to make a trip down to Philly. Now, want an appearance real soon, man. So we gonna make it happen. Let me know. Let me know when you in town. All right, I definitely will, man. Uh, may the best alma mater win on Saturday. Uh, thanks for coming on, D Ray. My man, my man. Thank you for having me. Yep. More on the igloo coming up after this. Welcome back inside the igloo. Big shout out to my guy, D Ray. As our alma maters clash on Saturday in Philly. Interesting segment to say the least. And it's always a pleasure to have Daryl on. Just a really insightful guy. Not only with basketball. But really the world and life in general. Just a real outstanding dude. I can't speak better about him honestly. And this is a Seton Hall guy talking about a Villanova guy. (laughs) Kind of funny how the tables turn you know. But. Let's talk about what happened earlier this week around the Big East. Let's start with Tuesday night. Xavier and DePaul. Xavier coming off a huge win at Seton Hall, handing the Pirates their first Big East loss of the season. Meanwhile, DePaul continuing to struggle. They haven't won since January 18th when they upset the then 5th ranked Butler Bulldogs. But for Xavier, defense and rebounding, that's what led to the Musketeers win their second in a row 
getting them right back into the thick of things in the Big East, getting them back up to four and six in conference as the Musketeers got off to a hot start. They led by if I'm they led by nineteen at halftime. And they were able to win despite a late DePaul rally. I mean, and DePaul, I mean, they struggled offensively up until like the last four or five minutes of this ball game. But Xavier, they get the job done in Chicago for their second straight win, 67-59 to the final. And five different Musketeers and double figures, a well-balanced effort including 12 off the bench each for Kiki Tandy and Quentin Gooden. Tyreek Jones also had 12 points to go along with another 18-rebound day. Najee Marshall with 11 points. He struggled from the field, but leading the way in points for the Musketeers was Paul Scruggs with 13 points. As for the Blue Demons... Paul Reed led all scores with 18 points, one rebound shy of a double-double in this game. Jalen Coleman-Lands chipped in 17. Charlie Moore with 10. And then not really much scoring outside of that with Jalen Butts with only four, Weems with three, Hall with three, and then DJ Williams and Nick Ungenda each with Two. So again, the Blue Demons, they lose again. They fall to one and nine in Big East play. So they lose 67 to 59. Xavier starting to get momentum back as they try to make that push towards making it back to the NCAA tournament after missing it a year ago. And then on Wednesday, just an incredible game at Hinkle Fieldhouse between Villanova and Butler. But it was met with some issues. Um, during the first half, the leak at Hinkle Fieldhouse started... Um, the uh, I totally mixed up my wording. Oh, my God. The roof at Hinkle Fieldhouse started to leak, causing water to fall onto the court of play, delaying the game for about upwards of 15, 20 minutes. And jokingly, Lucas Harkins, who I had on the show not too long ago, he called it the Hinkle Sprinkle, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, can't come up with a better joke for that. But nevertheless, they continued the game, and boy, was it a game. It was a back-and-forth affair with Butler jumping out in front, and then Villanova jumping, um, moving, moving in front, and then Back to Butler's way. And then Villanova made a late game surge. And Sadiq Bay, who had a game-high 29 points, tied the game late with a three-pointer at 76 apiece. And then Hinkle Magic just took over again. And guess who hit the game winner? Don't really need to guess much. It's It was Kamar Baldwin hitting that step-back three, as I mentioned when I was talking with D-Ray. Hitting it at the buzzer over Colin Gillespie to give Butler a huge win to get payback on the on the Wildcats, seventy nine to seventy six. So number ten Nova going down at Hinkle. Meanwhile, 
in Rhode Island. Providence hosting number 21, Creighton. This was my upset pick. I went with the Friars, and boy, am I, boy was I glad I did. Now, Creighton led 36-32 at halftime, but Providence held them to just 20 second-half points while scoring 41 themselves as they came back to win 73-56, led by a game-high 22, which was also the season-high for A.J. Reeves, the sophomore from Roxbury, Mass. Six of eight from downtown. How about this for the Friars? 60% from deep. Um, So Reeves, obviously, with 22. Diallo chipped in 14. David Duke with a dozen. Both of those guys were perfect from deep, two for two. Malik White only with seven, kind of a slow night for him. But how about this? Nate Watson in just 16 minutes, 11 points and six rebounds. Phenomenal night for him. However, his night was cut short, but stepping in, stepping up in his place was Khalif Young. 24 minutes, seven rebounds, four points. Did the little things to help get Providence back in the game and come back and win handily. Again, Providence, they get the upset over Creighton, 73-56. And before I forget, I definitely want to mention some of the uh, stats from the Butler game. Kamar Baldwin, I mean, he didn't even have the team high for Butler in points. That went to Sean McDermott, who was nearly perfect from the field. 7 of 8 from the field, 3 of 3 from behind the arc, and 4 of 4 from the charity stripe. Bryce Enzi had 12 points. Bryce Golden with... A career-high 18 points. And Kamar Baldwin, I mean, despite his 6-1 frame, he grabbed 8 rebounds. Went 3 of 6 from downtown, of course, the last of which was that big buzzer beater. To give Butler the win, and for Villanova on the other side, against Sadiq Bey at 29 points, 11 of 20 shooting, 5 of 8 from deep. But how about Colin Gillespie? 28 points. 9 of 19, 3 of 7 from deep. And funny thing is, Villanova shot over 50% from three-point land, 9 of 17. However, outside of Bay and Gillespie, no one else really stepped up. Justin Moore was put back into the starting lineup in, over Cole Swider. The freshman had just five points on the night. Jeremiah Robinson Earl struggled in 35 minutes, nine points to grab just four rebounds, and then Jermaine Samuels was really limited. Seven rebounds, but he only had two points in 34 minutes of action. And then in the nightcap on Wednesday, Seton Hall, number 12 in the country, at Georgetown. Quincy McKnight shockingly played in this game. I I mean, I thought for sure he was going to be out. I mean, I thought it was a given. Meanwhile, Georgetown went without Mac McClung for the second game in a row. And Seton Hall, they got off to a very hot start, up 16 to nothing to start. And they were able to luckily ride that wave all game long. Despite a furious Georgetown rally, Pirates hold on to win 78-71. Miles Powell with a game-high 34 points on 12 of 24 shooting, 4 of 13 from deep. He also tied Jeremy Hazel's career record for most three-pointers at Seton Hall in career. The only other pirate in double figures was Jared Roden, who made the start 
12 points, 9 rebounds, 5 of 12 shooting. Uh, but Sandro Mamukelashvili making his first start since he went down against Iowa State on December 8th. He had 8 points to go along with 12 rebounds, 4 of 8 shooting. Meanwhile, uh, Miles Kale was relegated to the bench for this game for the first time in quite a long time, probably since, I think this is his first game that he hasn't started since the second round of the 2018 NCAA tournament, his freshman year against Kansas. And he had a slow night, one of six from the field, 13 minutes, but he did have four points, including a big layup in the second half that kept Seton Hall right out in front and kept giving him that leverage over Georgetown. And then Romero Gill, not a lot of points, six points, six rebounds, but he blocked eight shots. And Quinston McKnight got himself into foul trouble, but he was able to deliver big time. Ten assists, eight points, including a big dagger three with just under a minute to play. As Seton Hall, they go into D.C., and take care of business, breaking out the brooms in the nation's capital, sweeping Georgetown with a 78-71 to win to get themselves to 9-1 in Big East play, 17-5 overall. So that was the week that was in the Big East. And coming up, I got the rest of my weekend picks. Obviously, you heard that I'm picking Villanova in a much tighter game than years past to beat Seton Hall, the Wells Fargo Center, but there's still four other games coming up, three more on Saturday and one on Sunday, so I will have my picks for those coming up after this break here on the Igloo. All right, welcome back inside the Igloo. It's time for the weekend picks. Now, I went three for four during the middle of the week. Overall, not bad. So at this juncture, every team in the Big East has now played 10 games. So the standings going into this. Seton Hall in first at 9-1 now with a two-game cushion on Villanova. And then there is a four-way tie for third. Involving Butler, Creighton, Marquette, and Providence. Now, if the season were to end at this juncture, here would be the seeds for those three through six spots. Butler would get the three seed. Providence 4, Creighton 5, and Marquette 6. And that's based on head-to-head tiebreakers. Butler in that mini-conference is 3-1. and one. Providence is 3-2. and two. While Marquette is 0-3 against those. So that's how that... How, that's how 3-6 through six shapes up. And then... The bottom four, Xavier at four and six, Georgetown at three and seven, St. John's two and eight, and DePaul one and nine. So let's talk about the weekend slate. Georgetown against DePaul at home. The the Hoyas looking to get back on track at home with a win. Meanwhile, DePaul, I mean, they've been struggling already. Losers nine of their first ten conference games after a twelve and one start. Team that had such high aspirations after such a great non conference start. Uh, reality hit them hard so far in conference play, and they still got eight games to go. And I think it's only going to continue to hurt them, especially if Mac McClung comes back for Georgetown on Saturday, which there's a very good chance that'll happen. 
If he does come back, I'm going to give the Hoyas the edge. If not, and keep in mind, I think the loss of Devin Gage has really hurt DePaul. Having that backup point guard that can give Charlie Moore some rest instead of all this pressure, that's really hurt this DePaul team. It really has. And even if Mac doesn't play, I still think Georgetown's going to find a way to get the job done at home to give themselves their fourth Big East win. Right now, they're a four and a half point favorite. So right now, it it's a four and a half point line in favor of the Hoyas. It opened up at five. I think it's going to go. I think it's going to be a tight one. But if Mac McClung plays, I think Georgetown's going to win handily. Meanwhile, Villanova opened as a three-point favorite against Seton Hall. Little shock that's that low. I thought it'd be closer to like five, five and a half. But as of right now, that's up to three and a half. So I got Villanova winning. I got them winning by like eh, let's say nine points. Let's put it that way. Meanwhile, Creighton, a rather heavy favorite at home against St. John's. They are favored right now by 9.5 as of Friday night. That's at 6 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. By the way, DePaul Georgetown, that's at noon on Fox Sports Regional, so check your local listings. And again, Seton Hall Villanova against number 12 versus number 10, possibly the biggest game in college basketball this weekend. And that's going to be on Fox, so should be a great one. Really hoping it delivers, unlike past years where it's been just a blowout and a bloodbath. So, I mean, I don't think I have any doubt Creighton is going to beat St. John's at home. And I don't think it's going to be pretty for St. John's either. Knowing that they had such a big lead against Georgetown at home back on Super Bowl Sunday, I think that's going to kind of sit with them for a little bit. And I think this is going to cause them to not play well against Creighton. And the longer you sit with that, the worse it feels. And it's not going to feel good when Creighton's just going to run up and down the court just hitting three after three after three. It's just not going to be a fun night for St. John's. Uh, let's put it that way. And then 8 Eastern on FS1, Xavier hosting Providence. Xavier right now four-point favorite. And with the way that they're playing, I think Xavier's going to get back in the win column. Um, well, not back in the win column. They're going to win their third in a row, taking down the Friars at the Cintas Center. Last year, they blew it against the Friars in that building, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. And then National Marquette Day on Sunday. Always a fun day, the biggest day of the year for Marquette fans everywhere is the Golden Eagles on National Marquette Day. Play host to number 19 Butler coming off that huge buzzer-beating win over Number 10, Villanova at Hinkle. I think Marquette knows that they should have had that game against Butler last time they played him a couple weeks ago at Hinkle. And I think Marquette's going to keep that in the back of their mind. And with the way Marcus Howard has played, I mean, his first game back, I mean, with a face mask and all, still dropping... Well over 30 points to beat DePaul. Now facing another Midwestern rival. I mean, I expect him to have another big day. This is his last last National Marquette Day. I think he's going to deliver big time and give the Golden Eagles a big time upset over the Butler Bulldogs to give, again, Marquette a, another happy, 
happy ending to National Marquette Day, and they tend to deliver in those games, and I expect them to do the same. Last year, they beat previously unbeaten in Big East play Villanova, and that that's the one-year anniversary of that upset coming up on Sunday, and I think they're going to do the same again this time against the Butler Bulldogs. So those are my weekend picks, and this is how this episode of the Igloo will end. Thank you for tuning in as always, and guess what? Coming up next week, be on the lookout for this. I got former St. John's coach and current Fox Sports College Hoops analyst Steve Lavin joining me on the Igloo. This is going to be a fun one. Lav's the man, and I cannot wait to have him on next week. So I'll have more details on that on social media when the time gets closer. So I'll have a new episode up on Monday after this exciting weekend slate concludes. So until then, this is Timmy I signing off. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy what should be a great weekend of Big East basketball across the board. And I will see you again on Monday. So be on the lookout for that brand new episode and for Coach Lavin coming up next week. Until then, Timmy I signing off. Have a great weekend, y'all.